Well, things look different around here. Again. For about the past month, our services have taken place over in our fellowship hall, the original worship space at St. John's, while the sanctuary has been receiving some much-needed TLC. New lighting has been installed underneath the balcony, above the balcony. The ceiling has been repaired and repainted along with the walls, giving our now 52-year-old worship space a refresher. And that's a good thing. But all these things, while we've still got a few months left before we can fully enjoy the pipe organ and its refurbishment, today feels like the start of something of a new chapter in our life together as God's people. That's why we're here. God gathers us together around the cross of Christ at St. John's. He gives us great and many gifts, not a fresh coat of paint, not improved lighting and sound, but he gives us the gift of coming to the cross for something different than the world can give us. A truly new chapter in life where we have hope. Because the past, well, the past isn't perfect, is it? For the past several weeks in this Lenten season, we have been exploring God's word under this theme of go and be reconciled. We've heard what God has done to bring us back to himself, how he has given each of us a new start, a new beginning in Jesus, how he gives us hope for what's to come. And for all those times where we have tried and failed to live according to his instruction, we've looked at how God delivers reconciliation into our relationship with him. We remember that he gives us our baptismal identity. We are called to repent before God, that we are called to receive the free gift of his forgiveness. That's that vertical part of our life. But what about the imperfect horizontal part of our life? What about our need for reconciliation with the people around us? Well, do you have perfect relationships with all the people you know? I don't see a lot of nodding going on out there. Well, it's fair. Have you failed anyone recently? Have you exchanged angry words with someone? How's your example been pointing people to Jesus as the one who has saved you and given them the gift of new life? None of us are perfect, right? You know that there are relationships in your life which are broken, which are not what they should be. So how bad do things need to be in order to compel you to do something about that? When our reading this morning from Luke chapter 15, we hear Jesus tell what's often known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's also equally uh, validly known, I think, as the parable of the prodigal sons, plural, or the parable of the loving father. But for this morning, let's just take a look at that first son. He pretty much told his father that he wished he was dead. He wanted his inheritance, everything that was coming to him, so that he could go off and take that into a new place. Jesus tells us how that went for him. He squandered this wealth in reckless and foolish living. He found himself then at rock bottom, feeding pigs. And pigs to the Jewish people are unclean animals, so this good Jewish boy is now feeding the unclean animals and so hungry that he wishes to eat just a portion of the slop that he has to give to them. Where else could he go? 
then it hits him. He needs to go back to the place that had once been his home. He needs to confess his foolishness to his father. He needs to seek his father's mercy, hoping that he could find a place as a hired servant in his father's household. He needed to confess. But what does it mean to confess, to make confession? That's what we look at today. In one sense, to confess is to speak something together. To say the same thing. For example, we confess our faith as Christians as we gather together for worship. Confession is a statement of what we understand to be true. But when the lost son thinks about what he needs to say to his father, well, it's a specific kind of confession. He's going to confess the truth about his sin. When you make confession to God or to another person, You're speaking the truth about the problem that has separated you from each other, and you are owning your responsibility for causing it. Confession is the first step in reconciling with others. And chances are you don't want to confess, though, because that means that you are admitting that what you've done is wrong. That can hurt. And that hurt that comes from the knowledge that what we have done is wrong, that comes from the brokenness of our world and our role in causing that brokenness. But God is waiting. God is waiting to bring healing, to replace that hurt, even as he has already done in reconciling you to himself. So when you need to go and confess to another person, When you need to tell them that what you've done is wrong, well, how should you do it? Well, first and foremost, go to this person in the position of a beggar, understanding that there is nothing that you deserve in the way of forgiveness, that there's nothing that you can do to earn it. And while it's possible that you both have wronged each other in this, don't go to them with the intent of calling them out on their sin, on what they have done wrong to you. Yes, you will be putting yourself out on a limb. You're going to be opening yourself up to the other person's judgment. But you don't go into this alone. The Lord goes with you because you are doing what he has called you to do as his disciple. In James chapter 5, we see that confession is an essential part of living a healthy life. Within the body of Christ, we've been given the mandate to forgive one another. And we need to confess to one another in order to open the way for that forgiveness to enter into our life together. So trust in God as you go to confess to this person that you have wronged, knowing that you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. Next, own your sin. Don't try to shift the blame. Don't try to make excuses for what you've done. Don't look to downplay the offense or trivialize its impact on on their life. This isn't the time to explain the rationale for losing your temper or justifying why you had to stay out past your curfew. And here's a pro tip. Avoid using the word but. It will not go well. Acknowledge what you've done. If you need help, 
in doing so, trying to figure out how specifically you might have wronged the other person, use the mirror of the Ten Commandments to identify how your specific thoughts, words, actions, or even your inactions have damaged your relationship with this other person. From there, express sorrow for the hurt that your sin has caused them. This is the perfect time to say, I'm sorry, and mean it, and follow that up with ways in which you've seen that your behavior was hurtful. If you're having a hard time thinking of specifics of how those actions have hurt the other person, well, chances are they will be able to gladly fill in the blanks. And while all that might be well and good, how does confession open the door for reconciliation? How does it shape your future relationship with this person? Commit to changing your behavior with God's help. Understand that you have sinned against God and against your fellow human being and seek God's help to keep that sin from coming back into your life and into your relationships. Know that this isn't merely looking to put a fresh coat of paint on things. Chances are there might be some significant renovation in the way you live your life that's required here. But know that the Lord goes with you in making those changes. Be willing to bear the consequences for what you've done. Through his life and death, Jesus has carried the full weight of your sin before God, that he he has set you free from death and separation from your creator. The sin, it can still bear earthly consequences. Recognizing those consequences, being willing to experience them, what shows that you know the weight of what's happened. And that can be a bridge towards restoring your relationships. Now finally, and this is key, ask for forgiveness. Again, like the prodigal son, you're coming to this other person in the position of a beggar. You are seeking their mercy. You don't deserve it. But you can and still should ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. And you asking for it from the other person gives them the opportunity to experience a glimpse of the grace that God has for you, for them, and for all people. But what if they don't forgive you? What if they don't welcome you back with open arms as the loving Father did in Jesus' parable? Trust in Christ's forgiveness. The Lord God is your strength and your song, and he has become your salvation. Whether or not the other person forgives you, know that you have forgiveness through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Confession leads to reconciliation. We heard from St. Paul that we have the ministry of reconciliation through Christ. As Christians, we go out into the world as ambassadors of Christ, as ambassadors of reconciliation. Fun fact, the organization that we have gotten our Bible studies from the Education Hour, who produced this spiffy graphic that you see up in front of you, they're called ambassadors of reconciliation. Wonder where they got that name from? God calls us as his people, as people to go out into the world to demonstrate the gifts that God has given. To go out and show how God's love works in the life, how his 
love works in the world through our lives. Our confession opens the door for renewal, for a new chapter in our life with our neighbors. As you go out from the service today, as you go out in the week ahead, think about this. Where is confession to another person needed in your life? Where is God waiting to bring that gift of reconciliation, to work it in the world through you? When you confess to the other person, you open the door for God's gifts to be given. It looks different than how the world works. And that's not a bad thing. Because things continue to look different around here for God's people. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.